0: This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. Psalm 32 is dedicated to rehearsing the joy found in forgiveness. To get to that triumphant joy in your life, you'll find that it doesn't come by making excuses for your sins. It's not found in any therapies for those sins, but in an honest confession of your sin before God. In one of my first churches, I had a gentleman in my church that had become an advocate for Christian psychology and had developed a Christian counseling agency, and he was a very wealthy man in the community. His story was, and the reason for his commitment to it was attached to something that had happened rather profoundly in the life of his oldest daughter. I was meeting with this. I finally had an opportunity to meet with his daughter. Her and her husband were in ministry. She was a lovely young mother, and she shared with me that how for years she had suffered with an eating disorder, an eating disorder that was so profound and so taken hold of her life that on more than one occasion she had to be in the hospital, and she almost died on a number of occasions. But now... God had brought complete healing. There was a sign in every way that she had totally recovered from this disorder in her life and that she was growing and she was developing. And Well, the story behind it was that her father had tried to get her to all kinds of various therapies to find some deliverance and rescue from this malady that was affecting her to no effect. And so he brought her to different psychologists. He brought her to different counselors. He had the church pray over her. He had other people talk to her. She wasn't being delivered. Finally, he took his money, and he flew up to his city. One of the leading Christian psychologists in the country, a man who had written a number of different books, this man met with her, and following his meeting with his daughter, his daughter was cured, wonderfully cured. She recovered completely. And the father used her recovery as an example of why the church needed more professionally trained therapists within it to help people recover from their various syndromes. Well, I had the opportunity to talk to the young lady, I asked her to share with me her story of meeting with that psychologist. What happened when you got together? She said that, well, he sat down with her. They met together, and he simply asked her one question, and it was, please tell me how this disorder began in your life. When did it begin? She told him that it began when she was in high school. He then asked, why at that time? What was happening? Why did it begin when you were in high school? She told him that it began because in high school she wanted to look good for other people. She wanted to get in with a popular crowd, and so she continued to do these things and started doing these things in order to look a certain way and to get the attention of the crowd and be popular. And At that point in the conversation, he said, well, let's just stop right there. And he began to describe to her what she was explaining to him of the sin of her pride, the sin of vanity, the sin of the love of people's praise more than the love of God. He began to go through those sins in her life, help her identify it with her, and told her, until you find forgiveness and you forsake those sins in your life, you'll never find healing in your life. It was self-centered and it was self-focused. You haven't lived for God's forgiveness or God's glory or God's life whatsoever. So he led her to go through other things in her life and at each point in time, he said, when did it begin? What were you doing? What was happening? And he traced it back to a sin in her life that needed to be confessed. He laid it all out before her And then he said, well, why don't you go home and think about that? He got on a plane and flew out of town. She went back to her home. She went into her room. She began to think about those things. Something else happened. The Spirit of God came upon her as she began to consider all these things as sins. And he broke her heart. And she began to grieve for her sinfulness and her selfishness. And she poured out her life before God asking for his utter and complete forgiveness. And well, then she was wonderfully delivered. Now that's a good therapy. That's a good answer. That's where the joy and relief of forgiveness comes. The blessedness of forgiveness comes after an honest recognition of sin. After you've gained a burden for that sin through the Holy Spirit and sorrowed and felt the sorrow and misery of that sin. Not for the condition of the sin itself, not for what it's brought upon your life, but for what it has done in being in rebellion and turning from a living God who loves you and gave his life for you. When that happens, And you realize the forgiveness, joy, comes bubbling up. It can't stop coming up. Oftentimes, we miss the blessedness of this forgiveness because we do not sincerely count and consider our sins. And we do not let the Holy Spirit work that sin, you might say, up into our lives. So, again, let me share with you very briefly the pathway into this joy and this blessedness. One, let me give you some warnings Be careful not to institutionalize your forms of confession. Churches, where there's whole liturgies, they are often sometimes wonderful liturgies, the truth is found in those liturgies, but they become rote for a lot of people, where, oh Lord, have mercy on us, oh Lord, we confess our sins. Be careful not to institutionalize or formalize your (laughs) confessions of sin. Listen to David's description of his confession here, and you see nothing of an institutionalized confession here. He says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin, and my iniquity I have not hidden. Here's an example here. I think here David didn't give a general, Oh Lord, forgive us of our sins. Oh Lord have mercy upon us. It was God forgive me for pride and vanity and an unforgiving spirit or whatever it is, you see. We felt a sin. Be careful about a casual partaking, for example, in communion. We have our communion service there at the time of communion we have a the elements that represent the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins, the body of Jesus Christ broken for our sins. We partake of it. It's the time in which we remember what he offers to us for our forgiveness and we confess our sins. But don't be casual about that. Don't be casual about it. There are, oftentimes, it was popular back in the 90s in particular, to have solemn assemblies where you would gather churches together and have these assemblies where they would pray and confess sins. But, Even these, oh, don't go into those assemblies as some kind of formula that you can go through and definitely don't go to them if you're going to do it lightly. When I was young, I was taught that you didn't want to go to bed with dirty feet. and So you confessed your sins to the Lord Jesus and he would wash your feet so you could go to bed clean. And so before we go to bed at night, we would confess our sins and it was a good habit to be in and I'm in the habit of doing that still. When I lie in bed, I try to take inventory of my day and think of anything that I may have missed that I have not already sought God's forgiveness for and ask for his forgiveness, but, you know, you have to be careful not to turn that into just a habit. It's good for it to be a discipline. It's good for it to be a consistent, ongoing discipline. Just be careful that it's not an unconscious habit in your life. You know, you go to bed, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, you set the alarm clock, you ask for forgiveness, you roll over and go to sleep. Be careful. That's not the order. That's still not the way you go about it. Instead, what I would recommend is that in order to experience the ongoing blessedness of forgiveness, that you go through some proper pathways into confession. Let your heart be broken. Let your body in those private moments find the position that's equal with your words. Make it a habit, not a mindless habit, but a conscious habit to, at times, get on your knees, and get on your faces the publican beat his chest, try it sometime. Instead of, in our churches, trying to work up some euphoric experience, right? maybe what you ought to do on your own at times is go with the Spirit and try to work up a proper animosity for your sin. A proper and appropriate reaction to the defiling nature of your sin. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit when He's wanting to convict you of your sin, and when He's grieved by your sin, and work up a good cry with Him, and grieve with Him. Again, not in a perfunctory way, not in a melodramatic way, just as an act of cooperation in what the Spirit is wanting to do. Develop in your life a repulsion for sin. Develop in your life something of an animosity for sin. As I said before, when you confess your sins before you go to sleep at night, as you strike upon them, roll out of bed and get on your knees. Ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Find it. James gives us some instructions like that. For a moment, let's go there. Let's go to the book of James. To think that James is speaking here in just strong language about just changing our attitude is wrong. No, James is actually encouraging us to take some action when it comes to our sins. It's in chapter 4 of James. Verse 7, he says, Submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart. Basically, he says, when you're dealing with your sins, if you're going to address it, Get away from it, among other things. If you're going to mourn something, don't mourn with it cradled in your heart. Mourn for it from a distance. Be afflicted and mourn. Now, who afflicts you? Afflict yourself. And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I kind of think it's like this. The Spirit of God convicts us. The Spirit of God brings a heaviness upon us. Don't try to overcome it. Give in to that work. Yield to that work. Don't try to run away. You'll only become successful in desensitizing yourself to the sin in your own life. You know how you listen to a conservative radio broadcast? If you listen to it for a week and a a time when you're driving around, you find yourself getting more and more angry with the world. You find yourself getting more and more angry with the political scene, more and more angry with where the world's going. I would suggest to you that you stop listening to things that make you angry at everything out there. (laughs) Right? Start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you. And let Him deal with the issues in your own life and develop a sense of animosity and vehement repulsion for those things. That's probably a better way. Now, why am I saying all this to you? Why am I giving this advice? Look at... I'll go back to the church again. We have sought to gain our currency with people by promising them that the gospel meets their felt needs, that the mantra of the church has been, find a need and meet it, and you'll grow and you'll develop. And as a result, we have created an environment of people in evangelical churches who have been cultivated by fashionable needs, and they've lost sight of their deepest need of all, which is to live in forgiveness and to be forgiven. And then we've tried to provide them with outlets to feel good about themselves, And we denied people the one place where they find great joy. It's in being forgiven. It's being forgiven and having your sins washed away. That's where you find it. Pastors have a problem. People come to us sometimes miserable. And we, as pastors, shepherds, want to help them get over their misery. We have it as parents. Our children are making bad decisions. You can just see they're getting more and more miserable. We want to make them feel better. We'll play a game with them. Let's play Parcheesi. Let's do something to feel better. And, you know, sometimes the better act of a parent is to let your kid feel miserable. sometimes the wiser act of a shepherd is to leave an individual under the weight of their sin, but to tell them where the relief comes, where the answer comes, where the great joy may be found. You search your sin out. You let yourself become miserable by the hand of the Spirit upon you, but don't stop there. Cry out for His forgiveness and receive it by faith. And oh, His blood covers every sin, every sin. Don't lament over your bruised and battered resume. Think about your sin and what it's done to Him who has paid the price for it. Lament for that reason and bear that weight. It's a far greater weight, by the way with all the forgiveness when it comes. There is no greater song heard filled with greater joy than the song of the forgiven. May God fill you daily with that song. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you